This the, power, this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. The blame bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. I want you to remember those words because that's our focus today. Let me ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. No, we're not going back into the book of Ephesians. But it's, uh, it, it's not really possible for me to uh, focus upon being saved by grace alone without acknowledging Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So that will be our background. Then we will see it uh, reinforced elsewhere in the New Testament. Beginning next week, we're uh, going to start a new series, and it will be on the Lord's Prayer, and I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Next week, we won't actually start in the prayer, but I'm going to uh, do somewhat of an introduction as I'm going to deal with the question, why aren't my prayers answered? I know all of your prayers are always answered, but, but maybe you know somebody who feels that at some point, so come and bring them and uh, take notes, and we will deal with from a, a, a biblical perspective. Why aren't my prayers answered? Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the, the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for our worship so far, and our worship continues as we, we now listen to your word. And I would pray that no human voice from this pulpit would distract from what you have said, from what you want us to know and to believe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
For the last uh, few years on our anniversary Sundays, except for the year we, we uh, broke ground and then dedicated the building, we took a couple years out of this brief series, we have uh, recently been looking at the five solas of the Reformation. Now, the whole idea of this is that uh, the Reformation was a time when the church went back to their biblical roots. And there are five pillars that grew out of that time. And they are called the solas, meaning only. These five pillars are pillars that this church has believed from the beginning. But they are also five pillars that we must continue to cling to if we are going to uh, continue to pursue the calling of the church. It's good to be reminded of these. Now, uh, if if you look those up, like if you Google those, don't do it now. I know you can, but don't, please. If you Google those, you can find them in various orders. And I've kind of changed up the order of the five solas, maybe from what you might typically see. Sometimes it ends with uh, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And I began with that deliberately. And then we looked at sola scriptura, by scripture alone. And then last year we looked at sola Christus, Christ alone. Today we're going to look at sola gratia, by grace alone. By the way, the other one is sola fide, next year, by faith alone. What was the issue? What prompted the reformers to make sola gratia, by grace alone, one of the five pillars? Why is it one of our pillars of what we believe and we hold to? Well, let me, let me start out with what it, what it really isn't. Uh, grace is not just God having kind of a favorable disposition towards us, feeling kindly towards us. It's not just God thinking happy thoughts about us, okay? It's way more than that, way deeper than that. It goes from the counsels of eternity to our everyday life, and it penetrates every part of it. Let me give you a definition, and we're going to be defining it many different ways today. But grace is unmerited favor toward those who deserve God's judgment and condemnation. Unmerited favor toward those who deserve God's judgment and condemnation. Now, It's not just that we are undeserving, 
but we are ill-deserving. In other words, not just that we don't deserve it, but we deserve that which is bad. That's what we have earned. Now let me give you uh, an acrostic. If you're looking at uh, the outline there, and I always give this in the inquirer's class as well, take the, the letters of grace... which is G-R-A-C-E, okay, I know you know that, but and put these words next to it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Say that with me. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what it is. But why is grace necessary? Why should it be one of the five solos? Well, it's necessary because of our justification, which is a big theological word. We're going to discuss that momentarily. The first reason grace is necessary is this. Because my righteousness is not enough. Not just mine, but yours. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, No one will be justified. By observing the law, no one is going to be justified. Now, why did Paul think that was necessary to state? Here's why. Because in the first century, there was a real belief among the the Jews that they were justified or became righteous by obedience to the law. Now, when that that view seeped back into the church, you know, the first thing they had to learn was it's not by works, it's by grace. But then, as usual, things seep backwards in and people began to teach again, okay, all that grace is fine, but, but what about the law? And there were those that were teaching, you do the right things and you can work your way to God. That was a very common thought in the first century. We still fight it today. Listen, though, to this epitaph on a first century tomb. Here lies Regina. She will live again, return to the light again. For she can hope that she will rise to the life promised. This was a big tomb. It's a long long thing. Stay with me. She will rise to the life promised as a real assurance to the worthy and the pious in that she has deserved to possess an abode in the hallowed land. 
This your piety has assured you. You hear it? Your holiness has assured, assured you of this. This your love for your people. This your observance of the law. Your devotion to your wedlock. The glory of which was dear to you. For all these deeds your hope for the future is assured. That's why that viewpoint is why Paul had to go back to the Galatian church and say, no one is justified by keeping the law. Don't kid yourselves, you foolish Galatians. You can't do it. When that type of theology began to infect the church, his response was that anyone that thinks they can, they can gain God's acceptance by keeping the law is, is falling back into this soul-destroying form of legalism. He's trying to be justified by doing what the law commands. But when it comes to be, being accepted by God, observing the law is completely ruled out. Because no one can observe it perfectly. That's the problem. So God didn't just offer grace. He acted. Now, let me, let me take you to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 33. Let's say it together. You don't have it in front of you. I'll say it for you. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He, follow this, it really tells you what justification is, wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now, some when they are giving uh, the definition of justification, like, like to define it this way. They take the word justified and they say justifications means just as if I'd never sinned. Now, that's clever. And on a test, you'll get 50% credit. It's right as far as it goes. In other words, justification does mean, like it says in, in the catechism, that uh, he pardons all of our sins. But that's only the first part. It says, and he accepts me as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Now let's talk about, uh, about that part, really, of it. Since my righteousness is not enough, then what? Where does that leave me? Well, what is needed is an alien righteousness. In other words, a righteousness from outside of myself. 
if my righteousness is not enough. And that brings us to the second point. This is a simple message. My righteousness is not enough. Jesus' righteousness is enough. <laughs> That's it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin. Remember from our hymn? He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. It's based upon that passage right there. His righteousness was sufficient because he never sinned. So how does that become ours? All right, let's, let's go back to the just, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. If, um, let's pretend like I've got a sign on me, and this is be, before uh, I come to Christ, and this sign describes me, and it's a, a big minus sign. In other words, it's negative. I, I don't have any righteousness, and everything about me is negative. I've got a big minus sign on me, Okay? And then, just as if I'd never sinned, Jesus pardons all my sins. Well, that moves me from the negative to a zero. Takes away all the negative. But I'm still just a zero when it comes to standing before God. But then... He accepts me as righteousness, not righteous, not because of my own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. So his righteousness comes to me, and now there's a plus on me. Not because of my own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. That's, that's what justification is. And how do we get it? Well, back to the catechism. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us. To impute something is to give what is mine to you. So what we have here, basically, stay with me, is a double imputation. It's the great exchange. Let me explain. This Wednesday, last Wednesday, I, I went over to the dinner and I went up to four children in the church. And I said, uh, I sat down next to them, I said, would you like to make an exchange with me? Now, um, the parents were all, you know, interested and so on some of the kids were like mm, you know and and I think I think it's because they were well taught that if an older gentleman comes and says would you like to make an you know you just you know so they looked at their parents their parents you know gave them the okay and so I said okay well you know some of them said what's an exchange and I said well you give me something, and I'm going to give you something. 
And they said, what? And I said, you give me your dirty napkin. One of the, one of the boys said, I don't have a napkin. I'm not a napkin boy, you know. And so... <laughs> which I understood because I wasn't a napkin boy either. I was a sleeve boy, you know. <laughs> so, I, so for him, I took the crust of his garlic bread that he was done with already, okay? So I had three, three dirty napkins and, and, you know, the crust of a bread I was carrying around. But when they gave me uh, what they didn't want, I gave them 50 cents, two quarters, and I thought about doing it with teenagers, but I knew it would take a lot more money than that for, <laughs> for them to be impressed, you know. But I think these children, they were happy with the deal. Wasn't a great deal for me. It was for them, wasn't it? And I said, Sunday I'm going to explain this. And so, do you get it? That's the way it it, it worked with Christ. We, we didn't have anything to give to him but dirty, filthy napkins. Dirty, filthy works. And he took them from us and he gave us the infinite his righteousness. He not only took away the filth, but he gave that which was only his to give to us. That's the great exchange right there. His perfect life for our sin. I don't know any response to that except praise. I don't know what, how we could respond except praise. And it's all by grace. We don't deserve for him to take our sin, and we don't deserve to receive his righteousness. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Righteousness is not man's gift to God. It's God's gift to man. If it's God's gift to man, how do we receive it? Well, back to Galatians 2.16. By faith in Christ. That's what's meant in, in Romans, that the just shall live by faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. There is a lostness and insecurity when people try to buy or earn their way to heaven. Religion does that. Religion is about what people do to try to work their way to God. And Christianity is about what Christ alone has done for His people. In Christ, that means the struggle for righteousness is over. In Christ, the struggle to 
meet man's standards is over. In Christ, the focus on our guilt for sin is over. Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look at your sin, take ten looks at Christ. Righteousness is not your gift to God. It is God's gift to us. You can be gripped by that same comforting truth that gripped the Apostle Paul by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Let's bow together. So if the only response is praise, we give you praise today, Lord. And now when we serve you, when we obey you, when we recognize that your law tells us what's best for us, when we follow that, may it never be to earn something from you, but just to show our absolute gratitude to you. We look to you for this. In Jesus' precious name, amen.